Father God, you are the only one who can make a path of righteousness for us to come to you. Lord Jesus, you are the one who came here in righteousness. You came running to us, and you saved us by grace, and we celebrate you this morning. God, you are our everything. You are our heart's desire, our passion, our inheritance, our holiness, and it doesn't matter where we are today. God, you are our God, and by your Spirit, you dwell in us and with us. We are never alone. We celebrate you today. We give you all of our praise, our thanksgiving, honor and glory and might be to you now and always, forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. I'm going to invite you to find a seat just for a little while. I am so glad that you're here today. Connor, I am so glad you're in the front row, man. <laughs> Who knew that when I was in supper club with you that today is the day and October 10 is your number, 1010. It's going to be easy to remember, like maybe even if you get married on 1010. You know? Oh, you got a plan already. All right, well, you know, if you need help planning, I'm a good planner. Just let me know. I'm, I'm here with you. Hey, we're going to be in a couple passages today, uh, Matthew chapter 20 and Ephesians chapter 4, and uh, we're going to be in those two passages this morning because they're going to help us understand what a restored relationship is and how God does that work in his people, in the body of Christ, even in a church, a congregation like this. Last week we were talking about restored relationships and what real friendship is. This week, restored relationships and how leadership is a part of that. And next week, restored relationships means something for us to understand about membership, what it is to be a part of the body of Christ. One of the things that Susan spoke this morning was the promises of baptism, that he'll forgive us, he'll adopt us into his family, which is the body of Christ or the church. And spot on, you were right, and this is what God does for us. In fact, this week, Tuesday the 16th, there is a membership class. If you'd like to be a part of that, you can go online onto the website and sign up, or you can email Pastor Susan at susan.aliveandgenison.org, and she'll make sure that you have all the information you need. All right? Hey, let's start with a dialogue this morning, a little bit. I'm going to ask you to fill in the blank. Here's the question. What did you wish to be when you were younger? I mean, what was that desire? What did you want to be more than anything? Shout it out. An astronaut, yeah. You know, I always wanted to be a missionary on a space station ever since I was a kid, like in the 60s. We might not get there, but yes. What else, what did you want to be? Architect. An architect, yeah. Are you gonna be an architect? <laughs> You're kinda young to have this as your heart's desire. No, not gonna do it. I, I know God made me to be an architect, but no. Yeah, I get, what else, what did you wanna be? A paleontologist. You love, di yeah, di well, good. I can dig it. You're welcome. What else, one more, what'd you wanna be? Maybe, maybe it was something honorable and powerful. So, I don't know, what, what'd you wanna be? A millionaire. A, a millionaire, weren't you a pastor? <laughs> yeah, it's not gonna, no. <laughs> Anybody want to be a, a policeman or a fireman or a doctor ever? You know, I mean, those are honor. You get to save people. You get to climb ladders. I mean, there's, why do so many children want to be those things? Except there's, there's something that they see in that role that they're, they're drawn to. Um, career day in high school. Anybody ever do those? Do they still do that? I'm not seeing any hands. Yeah, okay, so you still. What did you do for career day? Sorry, say it again. A bunch of different things. Oh, okay. 
So you're interested in a lot of different things and not sure yet. That's a good place to start. Yeah. So career day for me, I had four of them. Um, three of them were in my second year of 11th grade. I struggled. Um, this might make sense to you. My career days, a lawyer, an interior designer, a radio disc jockey, a comedian, and a preacher. Four out of five. Ah, that's pretty good. I'm batting like 800 here. You, you could figure it out later which one didn't make the cut. And if you say preacher, <laughs> we should talk. <laughs> How many of you wanted to be a servant? The least. To avoid yourself of any benefits, like not owning anything? To always be least and last? Today we're going to talk about that. Because to understand leadership, we have to understand servanthood. That the one with the most is actually the one with the least. You know, when you find out how to live out your spiritual gifts, what the, what the Holy Spirit has done in you. The gift of God, which is the Holy Spirit that abides in each of us, has a display of God's glory for each of us. My particular spiritual gifts, and this will make sense to you, administration, leadership, teaching, faith, and evangelism. Those are my top five spiritual gifts. I think I'm living right down the middle of, lane, of the lane of who I'm called to be. To be a leader... It sounds like a good wish. That word uh, in, in the Greek New Testament means uh, wish, will, desire, passion, all those things that you would hope to be more than anything else. To be a leader seems like a good dream. Maybe the way that our culture defines leaders. But biblical leadership is often 180 degrees different than what most people think it is or want it to be. Even Jesus' disciples didn't get it. After walking with Jesus in ministry for almost three years, they didn't understand what leadership was. True leadership might actually not be on your wish list, on your dream board. You see, it's a calling. It's a calling that has to be pursued, and you, and you develop it in training. And I was listening through that lens. Can you listen through a lens? I was listening through that lens when you were giving your testimony, how God brought you up from those those moments of being agnostic into understanding you could have a relationship with him, which other people did, and he drew you in by the beauty and glory of his spirit that he gave you to grow up to know him and now also become a discipler and lead a men's Bible study. I mean, look at what God did in creating a leader in you, able to lead other men to know God and have a personal relationship with him. It's a calling to not only listen to and answer, but to equip yourself for. Last Wednesday, I was here in this building. We were in the student center, and we elected new officers and a brand new council restructured in a new way. We have more elders than we do deacons this year, and so we're reorganizing the way that they lead this church and disciple each one of us. Jesus actually talked about leadership. He taught us the true spirit of leadership when he said this, Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants, there's that word wants, that wish, will, desire. What is the thing you want most in your life? And whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's the heart of our text this morning, and we're going to dig in. So join me at Matthew 20, verse 20, and that's, this will be the context for how Jesus said those words. So Matthew 20, 20, let's pray first. Father, as your word gets opened, 
May it also be opened in our heart that that word, that living word, might establish for us a deep root of righteousness that grows beautiful fruits of the Spirit, that people might know you and love you and be in relationship with you and be saved. So I ask God that today in, uh, in preaching, I'll be a good teacher. And in leadership, I'll be a good leader. And all of us will be good followers to follow you, Jesus. So bless your word as it goes out in Jesus' name. Amen. So join me at Matthew 20, verse 20. Jesus is speaking with his disciples. He has predicted his upcoming death. This is already the third time he told them plainly that he was about to die. And here's what he said, Matthew 20, 20. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor of him. That word kneel means to bend the knee or to, to move down to your knees. It, it is a um, a form of worship. It means to acknowledge that Jesus is superior, that he's above. And so uh, Mama Z shows up and she kneels before Jesus to ask a favor of him. What is it you want? He asked. That's the question that we already asked this morning. What's your heart's desire? What do you think is best for your life? That's what this word means right here. Well, so far, so good. Her, her, her posture, her attitude is right on, and now she's in front of Jesus, and here's what she says. Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right hand. That's the seat of power, that when Jesus would take his throne in his kingdom, one of them would be the first go-to, the right-hand man, literally, a position of power. Grant that one of these sons of mine may be the most powerful in your kingdom next to you, is what she said. And the other at your left in your kingdom. Now, the left isn't usually the good side. If you look up that word in Scripture where it's used most often is when, uh, this, when God says to his, uh, a person, you're not mine, um, depart from me. Um, even the sheep, when they're separated from the goats, the sheep go to the right, the goats go to the left. It's not that position that we would usually choose. Um, Mama Z used a Greek pagan word here. It means well-named or just lucky. It's the good side for pagan gods, actually. She's saying, Jesus, make one of my sons powerful and the other one just lucky. Just promote one and let him hang out with you, okay? Verse 22. I wonder how he said this. I wonder how he looked at her. You don't know what you're asking. To rule in, in his kingdom, to be the most valuable player, you don't know what you're asking. You see, Jesus wasn't seeking a throne. He wasn't looking to get a robe he wasn't assuming power. He was headed to death. His glory would come later. And so now the, the voice in the scripture changes. Um, the mother was speaking to Jesus, first person singular, and now he speaks to all three of them. He turns to them and spoke to them all. Jesus said to them, can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? I don't think they knew what he meant. Because look at what they said. We can, they answered. Literally, it, that word is, we're able. We have the power. We can do this. It's our word for dynamite. Come on, bring it. We got this. They didn't understand. I think this feels a little bit like our culture, that to be a great leader, you have great power. And somehow they got those things intermingled or confused. Jesus said, you will indeed drink from my cup. But to sit at my right or my left, that's not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. 
when the ten heard about this, I love this, one of my favorite parts of the story. When the ten heard about this, that conversation, how the mama had asked that they would be promoted to the top two positions in Jesus' kingdom, they were indignant with the two brothers. Now notice here, it's the ten of them. That means Judas was in that group too. And he's indignant uh, about James and John, right? Who, who do you think you are? So Jesus called them all together. This is good leadership. This is a good teacher. Jesus called them all together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. There's a real-time example. He's saying, look at the culture around us. Look at how they, how they do politics and power and position, and, and you know how they are. And their high officials exercise authority over them. That's the, the hard thumb of leadership. This is not what leadership is, Jesus is saying. Look around at the world, because the world doesn't understand. You see, here's the reality. Listen. Real followers of Jesus do not seek a throne. They don't seek a position unless it's a low position, an unnamed position, to be uncounted, uncelebrated. There's no, uh, no points in this system. Jesus says after he tells them, look at the culture around you. Look at what they think leadership is. Verse 26, he says, but not so with you. Compare yourself to the culture. Biblical greatness is different. Instead, whoever wants, there's that word again. What do you want most? What do you think is absolutely the best for your life? Whoever wants to become great among you, whoever wants to be powerful and effective and important and to, and to have a, a full life, to be abundant, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. That word there is the same word that we have for deacon. It's two words actually put together, diaconis. Uh, dia is like diameter, right? All the way around, so the fullness. This is what you're all about. And, and, and conus or conus is um, in the dirt. It's to be dusty. And so someone who wants to be the greatest is literally in a hurry to serve someone like they're running over there and they make dust along the way. That's this word picture. A deacon. Verse 27, and whoever wants, same word again, whoever thinks this is the best for your life, whoever wants to be first, the most important, number one, must be your slave. It's the word for bondservant, someone who belongs to someone else and they have no ownership rights of everything. They're empty of all the things that normal and usual people gather for themselves. Whoever wants to be great must be the servant. Whoever wants to be first must be the slave. Verse 28, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, I'm sorry, yes, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Imagine the jaw drop in that moment. You see this word ransom? It's the word for the price to emancipate a slave, to set a prisoner free. Jesus said he came here to be that exchange that the grand value and glory of who he is would be given over for the sake of someone else, to become less than someone else so that they can be elevated and set free. Do the math. The greatest, the first, chooses to be the last, to give over their life, the most, most valuable thing that we have, to let that go. A great leader is in a hurry to serve regardless of whether there's benefit or loss at the other end of that. So if you have a longing to be known, be known for being unknown. Connect 
with someone simply for their benefit. And this often happens at great personal expense. Alive says it this way, that we will do whatever it takes to build relationships with those in our community that God is bringing to himself, to give up anything and everything so someone else can have life. This is our position. The heart of the leader is 100% about someone else, about the other person, totally self-emptying. And if, if this were written today, it might call us to look at our own culture too a culture where leadership is self-promoting, where people who are elevated to position around us can sometimes be self-serving. Look at these and then look at Jesus. I wanna say yay to alive because this past year has been hard, hard for everyone. Leaders found it a hard storm to navigate and I'm, it could be a leader in a business or an organization or a church, no matter where, someone who's leading has, been, has had to call up a resiliency far beyond what was normal. And here we are and the storm seems to be passing. Lord willing, amen? Lord willing, this goes away. And here's the good news, we're still alive. We're still here. Leaders are leading, servants are serving, Bible study and small group leaders are doing whatever it takes to disciple someone else. It doesn't matter if it's over Zoom or with a mask or whatever, discipling others, leading by serving. You know, so I did, I did a little research and uh, there's a ton of stats for how many people left their position, like leaders who are no longer leading an organization or how many workers are now off the job and on unemployment and there's just a ton of stats that you can get. And um, they'll take your breath away about how much loss there was in this past year. But one of the stats that showed up in, in my search was uh, for a position like mine to be a pastor. And um, the Fuller Institute, uh, the Barna Institute, Lifeway, Schaefer Institute of Leadership Development, Pastoral Care Inc., they all did these surveys. And I found of all the things they said, here's a couple of interesting things. 80% of pastors believe that pastoral ministry has negatively affected their families. Many pastors' children don't even go to church anymore. The profession of pastor is near the bottom of a survey of the most respected professions. Nobody, architect, yeah. Do you know, do you know what's right above pastor on this survey? Car salesman. <laughs> True story. You gotta have a getaway car, you know. I don't know. <laughs> this one was the hardest. Only one out of every ten pastors will actually retire as a pastor. You know, I don't I don't own a business. I don't lead another organization. This is where I am, but I think it doesn't matter. Whatever you do, wherever you lead, even in relationships, it's been a hard year. And I know it's true for elders and deacons and ministry leaders of all kind. Leadership is hard, especially when someone then begins to hate you or revile you or persecute you. And Jesus, Jesus taught his disciples about that. He said, it's going to happen. When you take up your cross and follow him, expect that. And, and that's why keeping the prize in mind is so vital. Um, getting people saved, people knowing Jesus personally and being saved for all eternity. If we can keep that prize in mind, then all that other stuff could just fade away because the goal of the Christian leader, according to the scriptures this morning, is to be humble, to be a godly leader so that you can be resilient and selfless. 
I wondered, what, what kind of what leader do people prefer to follow? What, what were some of the adjectives? And LinkedIn actually did a really good job. Instead of asking leaders about what makes you think you're a good leader, they asked 10,000 followers, what makes you want to follow someone? Research shows, I'm quoting now, research shows the best leaders are humble leaders. That's from October 22, 2015. The most admired leaders exercise humility, they share the credit, and admit their own mistakes. Basically, a leader is someone that you maybe aspire to be like, that you want to become like, or you'd want to follow. Sounds a lot like discipleship, doesn't it? Becoming like Christ by being discipled by a Christian. The word Christian is small Christ. Christ, Theon. Small Jesus, little Jesus. That the more you look like him, Connor, the more the men that you disciple are going to know who he is. Leadership and discipleship. Following Jesus no matter what. Because then you walk in the middle of his plan for your life, his purposes. You find Holy Spirit strength to fight against sin and the flesh that's in us. And instead we get joy and peace and success, which are three of the meanings for the word shalom. Christianity Today in an article in 2012. So this was pre-COVID-19. 2012, they published an article about leadership in difficult church situations. A good leader will understand the spiritual, political, and cultural dynamics of their church. We call that know your people and be known by them. A good leader will ensure that your church leadership is on the same page regarding vision, direction, biblical principles, and policies, seeking unity and standing courageously against dissension. A good leader will seek divine wisdom in order to avoid creating or exacerbating a crisis situation. Constant and listening prayer while scouring the word of God for discernment. A good leader will include competent mediators early on, especially when it's clear that internal efforts at reconciliation don't work. From Proverbs eleven fourteen, in a multitude of counselors there is safety. One of our values is to talk it out, to work it out, to listen to others so that we can all be discerning together. Remember that God is sovereign over his church. That's the last point. A good leader will remember that God is sovereign over his church. Like in the story of Joseph, it's a lesson for us. In Genesis 50, 20, he said, what you intended for harm, God intended for good. To trust that God is work no matter the weather. A few weeks ago, we ordained elders and deacons right here in this space. And see, these were some of the words in the formulary. In the leadership of the church, particularly the office bearers, we see the love of Christ for his people. Jesus appoints leaders and by his spirit equips them so that believers will grow in faith, develop disciplined Christian living, and serve others in selfless love as they share with everyone the good news of salvation. That's biblical leadership to guard their own heart while shepherding us to guard ours, to be Christ-like as they give guidance and live by an example, to bear up the burdens of others, to weep with those who weep and uh, celebrate with those who, would, who celebrate and encourage us to be, uh, and be our wise counselors, to be compassionate, firm, and consistent because they know the word of God, to be humble, means to be mastered by the Lord of the church, not to seek a position of power. 
elders may have neglected the word back in Acts. And so that they, that they didn't get too busy also doing works of mercy, the church added the office of deacon. Acts chapter 6, the first seven verses. Deacons lead by serving. Elders serve by leading. Deacons lead by serving in works of mercy, leading us into opportunities to worship with our wealth, our time and abilities, to look after those in the congregation and in the community, whether they're rich or poor, being for them wise, discerning um, friends to help us understand that of all the needs in our community, which are the ones that we'll address? The heart of the deacon is compassionate and encouraging, hopeful and joyful, prophetic and sensitive, and they live above reproach. They look first to the interests of others. All of those things take humility. When our leaders are like that, when those conditions are in place, it's actually a gift of God for us that we celebrate. I mean, who wouldn't want a leader like that? And we need leaders like that to lead us with love and humility and wisdom and strength because often they're leading us against our own will, the sin in our own hearts. We've been talking about 2021 and how it's going to be an amazing year if we look forward into it, and I think it will be. We need leaders like that to love us, and we have an opportunity this year to elevate and celebrate our leaders that with God's help, they can help us grow up. So receive them as a gift for our spiritual health. Honor them and listen to them and pray for them and respect them and hold them up in prayer, and this will take a strong will a will from us because it goes against our culture for how we see leaders. In our culture, we, we mistrust our leaders. We're even cynical. We blame them for everything. We don't, we don't trust them. There are too many examples of self-serving, power-hungry, self-promoting leaders. But that's not what Jesus was calling us to. We need leaders who won't give up on us when we give up on ourselves. We need elders and deacons and Bible study leaders and small group leaders and disciples who help us get over the hurdles and help us get over ourselves, calling out our sinful selfishness or pride or deceit or even our attitude. A good leader will call us to Christ-like humility by themselves, humbly walking with us, praying for us, teaching us and leading us so we'll know how to lead others, bring life to our communities. And we have leaders like that. Alive is full of them. Or half of Alive is in a discipleship relationship. And there are long lists that happen in those contexts. Lots of calls and prayers and, and compassion is shared and resources are given and they seek together God's face for wisdom. We are learning to work together and dis discern the will of God together. Our leaders have been calling us to unity by rallying behind one thing, the person and mission of Jesus. Our leaders are calling us to prioritize a worldview defined by the kingdom of God, not some strategy. Because if we're being honest, the number one thing that's tearing at the church right now is simply a strategy about wearing a mask. The most powerful piece of cloth on the face of the earth is 16 square inches of cotton. It's an amazing thing. And we're all praying that this goes away soon. But listen close, what, what if it rages? What if it comes back and the world gets crazy again? What? We need leaders. Leaders to help us when the sky is clear and leaders to help us when we're in the middle of the storm. Leaders who lead us with humility and teach us the word of God and encourage us, helping us to know Jesus and become more like him. That's the goal. Unity and maturity in the body of Christ is lining up behind one person. His name is Jesus Christ. He's our leader. 
And look what happens when we do. Follow me into Ephesians 4. This is our last passage for the day. Ephesians 4, beginning at verse 1. The apostles writing to the church. So it's a context, much like this. It's a letter that would be read when the church gathers. Paul uh, describing his ministry because he wrote this. It's a prison letter. He wrote it from being in prison. And he said, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. There it is. Leadership is a call. Humility, lowness is a call to be humble and meek. Live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. And make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. That's the what. Be completely humble with each other. Here's the why. Because we're one body. Verse 4. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all, who is over all and through all and in all. So how will we become what we really want to be? By following humble leaders, because that's how God builds his church. Verse 11, so Christ gave himself I'm sorry, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. That word there means to build a building, brick by brick, layer by layer, piece by piece, year after year of maturity and spiritual practices until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And then, the word picture. Then we'll no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching. If, if this were written in 2021, it might say something like, every stupid post on social media. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Let's be honest about that a minute. I mean, do, doesn't that just get you frustrated? Does your blood pressure go up when you're on social media too long? <laughs> Maybe for Lent we'll do a social media fast. blown here and there by every wind of, seeing, of teaching, everything that everybody says, and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Sometimes it's intentional, like liars and fear mongers. Whatever the context, whatever the culture, hear this, COVID does not define us. There's something way bigger. Someone asked me, well, what, what would Jesus do? I don't know, I don't know if there was a pandemic when Jesus was on the face of the earth. So maybe the question is, what would Jesus have us do? Instead, speaking the truth in love, verse 15, we'll grow up, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who's the head, that is Christ. You see, there's one thing that unites us, and, and leaders line up here. One leader and shepherd, Jesus, and then a bunch of under-shepherds, leaders who call us to follow him. Verse 16, from him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up. That's maturity builds itself up in love as every part does its work. And maybe this is the best answer to who do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be equipped for works of service. I want to be built up in unity and faith and the knowledge of Jesus. I want to be mature and discerning. I want to do my part in the purpose of why we are church together. You see, alive is not a cruise ship. People don't sit on deck chairs waiting to be served, someone to bring them a, a drink with an umbrella thing in it and your feet are up. We're a merchant ship. Does that make sense? Everybody has a job to do. Everybody has a part to do. Everyone is needed. 
So we need to be healthy and equipped so we can be deployed. That's why God gave us leaders. Someone to call out the purposes of God that he already established in us and purposed before there was even one day. That's why we have leaders, because each of us is being formed and shaped by them. We need leadership to become a servant, to become like Jesus, to engage the hard work of transformation by the Holy Spirit. Connor, it was in your testimony. You saw in others that they can have a personal relationship with Jesus, and you followed them. For the sake of Jesus' mission and the Great Commission to go make disciples, we need leaders who will call that out of us. And that's what I love about Alive, because even in this past year, there was tons and tons of humble leadership. Discipleship didn't stop. Bible study didn't stop. Worship didn't stop. We never stopped growing, even though it was hard. Even though there was a drought, and droughts are hard, change is hard. Taking up your cross to follow is hard. Leadership in all of these things is hard. That's why humble, resilient, servant-hearted leadership is God's gift to us. So maybe the next time you see a council member or board member, a ministry leader, someone humble or invisible, <laughs> right, because they're just quietly serving, you'll encourage them and remind them that you're praying for them. Of all the emails that I've had over the past 11 months, the ones that blessed me the most were, hey, we're praying for you, and then they'd send a scripture verse, a blessing, you know, like I get, I get to share number six almost every weekend, and I love that. And here these were brothers and sisters sharing the word of God with me like a blessing. And it was amazing. Because of humble leaders, we're stronger. We're more confident in the mission. We're more confident of God's work in us. And maybe we'll even have more compassion for those who can't worship or won't yet. Maybe we'll be more connected to those who feel disconnected or who are ashamed to even show up and more empathetic towards our brothers and sisters around the globe who've lived with harsh, harsh conditions since forever. Maybe 2021 will be a great year for leaders, bearing fruit, multiplying Christ-likeness and maturity in us. This is going to be awesome. So who do you want to be this year? Who do you want to become this year? Let's dedicate ourselves and our leaders to God's plan so that we're able to do this. Amen. Pray with me. Merciful Father in heaven, we thank you that you have provided faithful and gifted people to serve as elders and deacons, ministry leaders and teachers and administrators. Fill them with your spirit. Endow them with your wisdom and grant them strength. Make them faithful workers in your vineyard. And under their guidance, help us to grow in every spiritual grace, even in our faith, to be open and unashamed and in committed service that promotes your reign in the world. This world belongs to you. Help us all to serve with enthusiasm and humility. Grant us a sense of sustained awe, rooted in daily adoration of you, through the leaders that you gift us with. May your name be honored and your church be served. Help us, your people, to accept them gladly and encourage them always and respect them for the sake of your precious son, Jesus. Jesus, you did this for us. You came here, you served, you kicked up the dust to go to those who were in trouble. And you bore up their shame and sorrow and their diseases. 
you even took our place in death. So even if everything is taken from us, we have you. You love us. Help us to love you back with everything that we are. Help us to love others. Otherwise, we're just a bunch of clanging gongs and noisemakers. So we hang on every word that you say, Jesus, because we want to be like you more and more every day this year. So thank you for leaders who will help us with that. In your name and through your Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. That's our prayer. That all that other stuff will just fade away and our eyes will be focused on the prize the one who gave his life for us. I'm excited about the health conditions that just keep getting better and better here in Michigan. We already have a plan in place that as those numbers continue to drop, that uh, we have a strategy for uh, part of children's ministry and then the next part and uh, for changing the RSVP system and eventually the mask rule. I mean, all those things are ready to go when we go through those gates. And I'm really excited about how that's going to feel able to see you when we worship together but even in this even in this we can still be humble servants and bring life wherever we go next week is communion so i invite you to be ready for that to show up with anticipation and be full of joy and as you leave this place now may the lord bless you and keep you may he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you may he cause his face to look directly at you and grant you his peace amen